This is Nemetha Saitmotha for NEGM Catalyst. I'm speaking today with an incredible group of leaders from across the country about effectively coaching physicians, an important topic many organizations grapple with. Joining us for the conversation are Dr. Rena Oddish, Medical Director for Care Experience at Henry Ford Health System, Dr. Ghazala Sharif, Corporate Vice President and Chief Experience Officer at Scripps Health, Dr. Dale Glenn, Physician Lead of the Patient Experience Team at Hawaii Pacific Health, and Dr. Tom Howell, Vice Medical Director for Patient Experience at Mayo Clinic. We will be discussing the innovative physician coaching models each of these leaders have built at their respective organizations with a focus on the practical aspects of design and implementation. Let's start by asking each of you to briefly share an overview of why your programs were started and what the model is. Dale? Thank you for the opportunity. You know, I think we all sort of have a similar goal, and and in looking over the clinical results from the past couple of decades, it's become clear that physician communication is a key driver of health outcomes. And so in our organization, we've been working on this for some time, but we seem to hit sort of a glass ceiling of, uh, a couple of years ago where we, we couldn't uh, improve the patient experience further than we thought it should be. And so uh, we tried some physician coaching by bringing in some outside consultants, but still weren't moving the ball as far as we like. And so we felt that a deeper relationship with our physicians to engage them and help them understand why this was important and how they could actually improve their patient experience results was needed. So um, I was offered the opportunity to start a coaching program, and actually I've learned a lot from these other physicians, their programs, and, and other people who've kind of pioneered in this area. But the model we have is a, right now I'm basically the only physician coach, but my goal is to train more coaches and so to work with each of our department chairs to help them learn some coaching skills. But our first step is we had to really define what behaviors made a difference. And then I will spend time with each physician uh, who is identified either they self-identify or identified by their leaders as needing help, and I will spend about half a day working with them, and then I do a lot of follow-up as well. That's our basic model. Yep, this is Gazala. We had a very similar experience to what Dale had. We were not moving our overall HCAP scores at Scripps Health. It became very evident that when we went around asking the different divisions how we could improve, everybody, including the staff level nurses, said, well, we got to change the doctors first. So we decided to approach the physicians. And we started giving them their individual MD scores for some of our key key care lines, such as surgery, OBGYN, orthopedics, the ED, and the urgent care docs, and the hospitalists we gave an aggregate score to. And we started doing that on a monthly basis, blinded and unblinded. And that started the process because, as you know, physicians are very competitive, and those that were less than 50th percentile would be highlighted in red, you know, month after month. And a lot of those people, just by giving us giving them simple tips, sometimes even just by email, came to the middle. And then those that didn't and wanted additional help could seek out uh, my support. And similar to Dale's program, I initially just wanted myself to be the coach because I wanted consistency across the spectrum. And we're now in the process of training some other physicians. But that was available as one-to-one coaching if they really wanted those. And our key learning from this was that people that I was forced upon, so the division director would say, your scores are low, Dr. Sharif is going to come in and help you, those physicians did not respond very well at all, as you can imagine. They really have to want to change. So a couple of people actually dropped their scores. The rest only went up by 5 percentile. The others that actively reached out and wanted to improve their scores have actually come up by at least 55 percentile uh, during the coaching period. And it's my, ours is similar to what you do, Dale. I just personally go in, give them some tips ahead of time, and we reinforce those in real time with just a few patients, and then I follow up with them over time. So we've had pretty good success with that, with that program. This is Rena. Um, so we've 
we've built a structure that we refer to as the Physician Communication and Peer Support Center. And it's really a virtual center that acts as a hub of resources for clinicians. Many of the elbow level coaching um, happens in clinical encounters. And, and there we, we refer to it as physician shadowing rather than coaching. And Dale has written about this beautifully for the Catalyst blog. We use a similar checklist in those situations. And then we also have deeper level communication skills courses that are separate from coaching. When we get to what we consider to be coaching, that's truly clinicians who have self-identified having a developmental or leadership goal that they are seeking to achieve. And our coaches, with the exception of myself, I'm a physician, but the others are actually um, from our HROD department. So they have a lot of training in emotional intelligence, the four habits model, crucial conversations, and they do um, a national coaching certification as well. And we use four coaches to meet with clinicians, usually, as Dale said, for about a three-hour block the first time, and then once a month for three to six months, depending on the issues that they're they're working towards. And this is Tom. Thanks, Rena. Um, We have had a communication and healthcare workshop that was essentially mandatory for everybody in the organization, hopefully within two years of starting your employment, and came to realize that 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 sets a framework and gives you kind of a base uh, knowledge about some communication skills, but it's just as Dale had mentioned, you know, you hit that glass ceiling where you just aren't getting where you wanted to get. We had about 30% of our providers in our community practice over the 80th percentile and about 30% below the 30th percentile, and it seemed like those groups never really moved. Mm-hmm. So we have multiple different opportunities, and it's kind of a blend of everything that's been talked about. So we have um, some provider-to-provider, so physician-to-physician coaching that happens on the floor of the hospital or can happen in shadowing at the uh, clinic level. We do have a lot of staff, patient experience staff, that are trained to observe and give some Hence, um, I think we're really trying to move away from teaching to more of a coaching, which is an approach to say, we want to connect the providers not just to skills, but to what's important to them. So if you're the patient, what things do you want that patient to say about you when you leave the room as a provider? And really connecting them to uh, their empathy and meeting the patient's needs where they are. We're rolling out empathic communication across the organization from front desk staff all the way through providers. The challenge really comes with providers. We haven't figured all of that out yet, but I think that's the next level of kind of peeling the onion back and moving more from a teaching skills to a coaching standpoint. Let's talk about specific aspects of the model and starting with the basics. You you all have referred to to it, uh, but 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 most simply, what are the types of issues that physicians need coaching around? 
I can start. This is Gazala. Uh, what we find, we, we actually tailor the coaching to the scores, right, based on which server they're, they're getting scored on. So an outpatient, we use CG caps, and the inpatient is age caps. And the biggest training thing has been explaining in a way the patient understands. There's so much medical jargon. I just coached a physician the other day who said, oh, you want me to use the word explain? I can do this. And the very first patient, she says, we're going to get a HIDA scan with an ejection fraction to rule out acute cholecystitis. <laughs> And, and she was perfectly happy because she used the word explain, yeah. right, and, and thought she was doing a good job. And so we, we really are kind of going back to the basics. So when we look across the spectrum um, at all of, all of the surveys, it really is going back to the beginning and sitting. So we, we made it really simple. We're asking our docs to knock on the door before they go in so they don't protect the patient's privacy, making sure that they sit with our patients, which sounds really basic, but all the studies have shown that the patients give you at least 15% extra time credit for being in there because we don't look rushed. And then we've asked our physicians to ask the patients what their greatest concern is versus us trying to figure out what that is. And that's keeping it really simple. Knock, sit, ask. That's how we roll things out. I'll go next. This is Dale. That sounds like a great model, Gazala, because I think one of the hardest things to do is determine what is it we actually need to coach people on. And so we have sort of a two-step approach. First of all, and looking at the data, we try to identify first the physicians who are kind of in the middle of the pack. Um, as Brenda said earlier, it's hard to move those that are, you know, kind of way down the list. And if you pick the ones who are kind of in the middle, it's a little easier to move them from the middle to the top than from the bottom all the way up. And so once we identify a group of candidate physicians, we start with some very simple behavioral changes. But we also take a look at their working environment because uh, I find a lot of exam rooms are not set up in a very conversation-friendly way. We have physicians forced to sit with their backs to the patient because the computer is mounted on the wrong wall. Um, the computer itself can be a big distraction if physicians don't know how to integrate that into the conversation. And then teaching some real basic behaviors like sitting down, which I think is very important, orienting your body towards the patient, making eye contact, not being too distracted by note-taking and other tasks that seem to come up during the encounter. And so we created a short list of, of best practices, best behaviors based on the evidence that was, was available. And we start with just two or three of those in each case and try to get the physicians to consistently perform them. And then we show them the impact that that has on patient comments and on um, the, uh, the results. And over time, we generally see a fairly positive uh, impact if the coaching is consistent if, and if the physicians are engaged. This is Tom. I'll jump, I'll jump in. Um, I think we, a couple of things that have brought up are really pertinent in that you have to give physicians or just providers, because we, we're working with NPs and PAs now um, extensively also, you have to give them something that they can tangibly do that's fairly simple. So sit, we call it sit and listen, dyad rounding, where, you know, make sure you round with that patient's nurse in the hospital. Simple, tangible things to do. And then the next piece is observing or helping them get connected with the patient on another level. So peeling, again, I, you know, peeling that onion back and being really empathic with them. And I think that once they get comfortable with the simple things that help make that connection, and Dale mentioned the, the physical plant issues that you have to overcome sometimes, then we're more able to make those deeper connections. And you have to do it almost in a stepwise fashion. And I would echo that. I think that speaks really well to how we've structured our program at Henry Ford because you do have to touch on all of those really elbow level support issues. And then you can get to, you know, the noble purpose of medicine and why people truly got into the work. 
And where I find that we're asked to work around the most are are topics of maintaining your resilience in a workplace that's constantly asking for more from you, finding a way to feel that you're doing good work each day, even though the work is compressed, it seems, more and more. And all of that comes from a deep root of connection. So establishing a therapeutic relationship, aligning with the patient's values so that the recommendations that are made are really based in what the patient's asking us to deliver rather than our own agenda. All of that, I think, serves a greater need for physicians um, to feel their value within an organization. Can I insert one more thought there? I want to just mention we need to create those same relationships with the entire clinical team because we found that there's wonderful ways in which the team can support the provider. And let me give you a quick for instance. Uh, So the patient walks up to the front desk and they ask them, why are you here today? And they give them a reason. And then the medical assistant takes the patient to the room and asks them, why are you here today? And then, of course, the physician walks in the door and says, why are you here today? And it looks like we don't talk to each other. Right. You know, right. It looks like we haven't really paid any attention to that patient's chief concern or most, most important concern. And if we coach them as a team and, and as a unit, we can start to find ways that they can interact in a very supportive manner to create a great patient experience. I'll echo that, Dale. We, we, we've done, in the community practice groups, we've done coaching for both the nurse or the MA and the physician and our greatest success has been in team coaching. We had one physician that went from first percentile to 92nd percentile, and the nurse went from 12th to you know, 90th as well, basically by each other managing each, each other up, basically. So the nurse would say, oh, you're seeing you know, Dr. Wang. She's one of our best physicians. And then, and then the doctor would say, oh, you got Lane today. She's really, really good. And amazing what the scores can do just by looking like a unified team. Wow, that's a great example. Yeah. I think there are some things that you don't – you really aren't even aware of. We instigated a video coaching model where we actually videotaped the interaction with the nurse and the patient and then the physician and the patient. We really did it as a way to get around the logistics of trying to get physician coaches out to everybody. That's just logistically very difficult and expensive. And I was the first guinea pig, and my nurse walked into the room, talked to the patient, got her nurse things done, and then said, he'll be in in a minute. It was never a minute. The quickest it was was seven minutes. So she's already set me up for failure. So we stopped saying that. But we would have never known that if we hadn't had the videotape that said, oh, it's never a minute. So I think there's things that are blatantly obvious if you make them available to be blatantly obvious. And it's a huge win for everybody if you can help with those small things. So did, did you do this with live patients? Yeah, we do it with live patients. That's incredible. So just a video, and then and then we have staff go through the videotapes, pick out vignettes. You know, it's it's really when I watched mine, the six things that I was going to get coached on, I knew five of them before anybody opened their mouth. Um, and we use staff, not not physicians, to to go through them and just pick out the vignettes. They have a grid, you know, a scoring rubric that they use. So it's been um, it's been very interesting, and there's nothing like watching yourself. In the spirit of uh, never having enough time and always running seven minutes behind, uh, we (laughs) are almost out of time. We are going to do a uh, quick round robin. So I'm not. I'm going to ask you to to two word answer, and we're going to do two round robins. The first question is going to be. 
what is your biggest challenge in scaling these programs? I don't want to know why. Just tell me what the biggest challenge is. And then the second is what has been the one solution uh, that that you've put in place to overcome uh, a barrier and in, in, hope to put in place to overcome a barrier. I'll answer first. That's uh, our biggest challenge is enough people to do direct observation. That's more than two words. <laughs> Time and our resources. Biggest, oh, good. Time and resources. Yeah, this is Gazala. Actually, we're finding that we're more data. Physicians want more data, and we uh, we just need more analyst support, as you said, resources. Pulling providers offline. What is? Let me rephrase that question because the solution to more time and resources is more money and more resources. What is um, what is one thing you are hopeful about as you think about growing your programs at your respective organizations? That providers will enjoy their careers more. I yeah, totally agree, Dale. Team I building. I heard I'm hearing physicians uh, will and team members will enjoy their careers more, and I'm hearing team building. Considering, uh, you know, f the future or thing that you would want to get to, a lot of people are going to just really be interested in what are the solutions to some of the challenges and, and impediments yeah. to making this happen. Yeah, they, yeah um, I agree. And, they and want they the why. they got to be little simple things, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Do you have a short list of what those little simple things might be? The solutions or the impediments? The solutions. <laughs> <laughs> the impediments, I'm sure, yeah. Hopefully the solutions will be longer than... Well, ours has been, you know, the simple three behaviors, and then when we present the data, it's really simple to understand because we found that when people were presenting the data, it was so complicated nobody even understood it. So we've simplified yeah. things so that if you just pick it, the very first person looks at their scores knows exactly what they're getting graded against. And for yeah, us, it was really tying values to behaviors. So it's one thing to to say what we're asking of someone to sit and be eye level right. and not face the computer, but to say, you know, you want to engage with your patient because right. we value compassionate care. Yeah. yeah. And then for us, it's tying the, the data and showing how the data actually reflects that compassionate care, that the change in behavior actually makes you enjoy what you do, helps the patients enjoy what they do, and oh, by the way, it makes the data look better too. Right, right, right. I, I would agree with wishes. those. I think it's yeah. right. I think, I think it's the the tying. If you can tie it back, what you're trying to do to your organization's primary values, and then say, and by the way, as a provider, these are your values too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Thank you, everybody, for for your time and and your insights.